Hello, you're listening to Sarah McCoy, and this is Chapter 8 of the Book of Hebrews, a new weekly podcast series. I've been a Bible teacher at Owasso First Assembly in Owasso, Oklahoma for over 40 years, and I love the way God's Word shows itself practical to today, time after time. Chapter 8's theme is Jesus is the author of a better covenant. But before we jump right in to Hebrews chapter 8, I would like to give you a little necessary background on an Old Testament prophet whose name was Jeremiah. Some of the Old Testament prophets are called major because their books are long and they had a lot of influence, and some are called minor because their books are short. Well, Jeremiah was one of the major ones, and you see here the representation of Jeremiah that was painted by Michelangelo on the Sistine Chapel wall. He was known as the weeping prophet, and he wrote two books of the Old Testament, the one that bears his name, Jeremiah, and then also Lamentations. That sounds like a downer of a title, doesn't it? You know that a lament is when you're sad about something. Jeremiah was selected by God to get the people ready for captivity. The land of Judah had sinned for a long time, and God was going to let Babylon and King Nebuchadnezzar take them over. And sure enough, eventually, while Jeremiah was living, Jerusalem was invaded and people were carried away. That's why we have the story of Daniel. You remember Daniel and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who didn't eat the things that the king supplied. They were some of the ones that had been carried away captive. But right before this happened, Jeremiah was going around telling people, for quite some time, you better be ready, and you're going to be gone for 70 years, and uh, God can, will not change his mind. This is an interesting painting here, Jeremiah on the ruins of Jerusalem from 1844. You can see his sadness there. Let me give you a little taste of this book before we get to the really important part that we need to look at that goes with Hebrews chapter 8. Chapter 9, verse 1 says, Oh, that my head were a spring of water, and my eyes a fountain of tears. I would weep day and night for the slain of my people. So he had a hard job, and I'm sure he was richly rewarded when he finally passed away. But come with me now to something he said that was more of an upper and really marvelous in Jeremiah chapter 31. Such an interesting coincidence for me that as I read the Bible through using the Gideon's International Prayer Calendar, this morning my assigned reading included Jeremiah 31. But this is a prophecy about how God is actually going to bring this marvelous salvation through Christ someday. Notice what he says. The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Now think about it. New covenant as opposed to the old one, the Old Testament, that covenant God made with Moses on Mount Sinai, he said to the people, here's the law, you obey this, and if you don't, there will be consequences or punishments. And the people said, okay, we will obey you. And then they went right out and sinned, 
and messed up so bad so many times that he finally had to allow them to be carried away captive. But in the middle of all this prophesying about how, get ready, Jeremiah's saying, you're getting ready to be taken away. God has had it with you. He says that there's going to be a new covenant. Now we go on, verse 32. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds. I will be their God and they will be my people. Well, where was his law before that? Oh, it was on the stone tablets, wasn't it? And it was on the papyrus as they wrote, or on the vellum, the animal skins that they called the Torah and that they kept for reading on Sabbath days in the synagogue. But he says that this new covenant is going to be putting the law on their hearts. That sounds like a transformation of the spirit, doesn't it? And look at the rest of this. Verse 34, no longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Another famous painting of Jeremiah you see here. Okay, so keep that in mind. The people knew about the prophet Jeremiah and the book that he had written and the captivity in Babylon for 70 years. And so these Jewish Christians are reading this book of Hebrews and they get to chapter 8 and it says... The point of what we are saying is this. Remember, we just came out of chapter 7 where there was a discussion about Jesus being better than a Jewish high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Remember that interesting and mysterious figure from the Old Testament that met Abram? The point of what we are saying is this. We do not have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. Excuse me, we do have such a high priest and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by man. So first of all, you see here Jesus on the right hand of the Father, and of course this isn't an accurate representation, but at least it gives us something to think about how he might be presented to the people someday. And then it goes on to say that he serves in the sanctuary. Did you catch that a couple of slides ago? Serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by man. And they're thinking when they hear the word tabernacle about the tent tabernacle in the wilderness that Moses got the directions for from Mount Sinai and that he had the artisans so carefully make and that they were able to transport from place to place when they went around for 40 years and that lasted for 400 years until they were ready to build Solomon's temple. He goes on, every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. And so it was necessary for this one also to have something to offer. 
you tracking with me here? Here stands the Lord before the heavenly father in the holy place. And he doesn't have the blood of bulls and goats that he's getting ready to sprinkle on the mercy seat. He has his own offering. So that takes me back to the time that we read right before he went to the cross at the Last Supper in Luke 22. He's with his disciples, and they're lounging around the table, and they're supposed to be eating the matzah and drinking the wine. And Jesus takes the wine, and he says, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. What does that have to do with Hebrews 8 again? Oh, we go back here and see that every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. So he's the priest, but he's also the sacrifice. And what was the point of this again? The New Testament. So he says to the people around that table, right before he goes to the cross, this cup is the New Testament in my blood, the new covenant. So when you pick up your Bible and you turn to the New Testament, you're reading about the provision that God made for relationship with us because we weren't able to keep the law. He goes on, Hebrews 8, 4, if he were on earth, meaning Jesus, he wouldn't be a priest for they're already men who offer the gifts prescribed by the law. In other words, Jesus wasn't from the right tribe to be a priest on earth. He was from the kingly tribe of Judah. And so since he wasn't from the Levite tribe and he wasn't a descendant of Aaron, they would never have allowed him to serve as a priest. That's why we read last week that he was a priest after the order of Melchizedek. But he's talking more about those Levite priests in verse 5. They serve at a sanctuary that's a copy and a shadow of what is in heaven. This is fascinating to me. All of the instructions in the book of Exodus for how you make the tent tabernacle in the wilderness, when you're introducing that to a young believer or especially a child, and they read those details, you know, they can get kind of bogged down in them and they can seem kind of boring all of the different materials for the outside of the tent and how it was supposed to have a holy place and a holy of holies place. And there's all this description about the furniture, the lampstand and the table of showbread and the, the incense and the Ark of the Covenant and the veil that's in between the holy place and the holy of holies. But now we're reading something really exciting, that that sanctuary that those earthly Levitical priests served in was actually a copy of the real thing in heaven. In other words, it's all symbolic, and every single detail was for a reason. That's why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle, quote, he's quoting from the law, what God said to Moses, see to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown to you on the mountain. Well, here is a look at what that was like. It had a fence around it, and outside there was a basin. You can see it there. It was called a sea, S-E-A, you know, like ocean. 
And the priests would wash themselves before they went into the tabernacle because it was symbolic of how you can't go before God dirty or sinful. And there was also an altar out there where they would burn the sacrifices before the Lord. But you know, before they burned those sacrifices, they killed them by slitting their neck and the carotid artery would gush blood into a basin. And then they would take that blood into the inner place inside the tabernacle. And you can see in this cartoon here, the two different rooms. This is the room with the lamp stand and the table of showbread that I just mentioned and the altar of incense. And then you go past this veil and there's the Ark of the Covenant, a wood box covered with gold that had a 24 karat gold lid with these cherubim that were overlooking what was called the mercy seat. And once a year, the high priest would go in there and he would sprinkle blood for himself and then for the people on that altar in the holy place as a symbol. Now we go on and read, but the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one. And it's founded on better promises is that really something good to say that the Old Testament didn't have as good a promises as the new? Are we saying that the original word that God gave was somehow inferior? No, he's going to explain that the reason that the old covenant wasn't as good is because people were weak and they couldn't keep it. There was nothing wrong with God's end of the deal but it was like a mirror showing us that we're sinful. We can never actually live up to what God demands. Verse 7, for if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people and said, and finally you understand why we started this by looking in Jeremiah chapter 31. He's going to quote this major prophet from the Old Testament, Jeremiah, the time is coming, declares the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It won't be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. You see, God wasn't surprised when people couldn't keep the old law. He had planned this all along. The Bible tells us that Jesus was slain from the foundation of the world. And so it wasn't like God tried out this old covenant with the Jews, and then he went, well, rats, that didn't work out like I had hoped. I guess I'll have to come up with a plan B. He did that on purpose. When he gave those laws to the people, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor, thou shalt not covet. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. All of those, the people were bound at some point to mess up and have a problem with those. And so the Lord gave them a better covenant by sending himself in the form of man, Jesus Christ, to offer his own blood for us because the first covenant only brought condemnation due to our own sinfulness. But the second one brings reconciliation. You see, that's what a priest does. A priest is able to grab hold of the father with one hand 
and grab hold of sinful man by the other and bring us into fellowship because he shed his blood. And so back to what we were talking about, quoting that scripture in Jeremiah 31, where God was giving them a foreshadowing of what it would look like when people finally came to Christ. When I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they didn't remain faithful to my covenant, and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. You know, like Jeremiah saying, get ready, you're going to be carried into exile by the nation of Babylon because you won't obey. He goes on. This is the covenant I'll make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I'll put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I'll be their God and they'll be my people. You see the difference there? It's one thing when the law is on vellum or sheepskin or it's chiseled into a rock, and then it's stored inside the Ark of the Covenant in the holy place. But it's another thing when you internalize it, and the Ark of the Covenant doesn't hold it anymore, but your own being holds it. He's going to keep going on the same verse I already read to you first thing this morning. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For all forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Think how very encouraging that must have been to a bunch of people who were being punished for sin and carried away captive for generations, 70 years. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. And what's obsolete and aging will soon disappear. You know, remember when we used to tape television shows on VCRs? <laughs> well, that technology became obsolete. And so there was a time when it was on its way out that people were still using it. And then suddenly you can't find them anymore. It's not necessary anymore. We have better technology. And so in the same way, that old law where the instructions were, here's the list of things that you have to do. And if you can't live up to this, there's going to be consequences, is replaced by the very thing that had been being symbolized from the beginning where they were taking the blood into the holy place, the Levitical priest, the descendant of Aaron, and putting it on the mercy seat. Remember what I just told you that Jesus said right before he went to the cross? He was there at the last supper with his disciples in the upper room that they had borrowed in that home, which was probably the mother of uh, John Mark. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant. In the King James, you know, it says New Testament. This is the new contract that I'm going to have with you in my blood, which is poured out for you. And so when we take communion, this is my body, which is broken for you. And we take the bread and then we take the cup and we drink because he said, those that don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, they have no part with me. In other words, the new contract is don't try real hard to keep all of these rules. The new contract is 
I forgive you if you come to me in faith because I shed my blood in your place. I'll take the consequences of your sin on myself. So let me show you how this works. It's just like with children growing up into adults. So think of all the things that you make kids do that they don't like to do. They don't like to brush. They don't like to go to sleep at a reasonable hour. They don't like to take baths or change their clothes. They don't like to keep their rooms nice, and they prefer junk instead of healthy food. So let's pick one of those. Let's say, um, well, teeth brushing, for example. So you've got this four-year-old that doesn't want to brush their teeth. And so you say to that kid, you have to brush your teeth, and if you don't, you're grounded. And so the child doesn't have anything in their heart about wanting to do that, but they just don't want to be punished. And so maybe sometimes they sneak around and try to get away with not doing it. But the big thing is they're doing it because if they're checked up on, they don't want to be grounded. So then they grow and they grow and they grow. And instead of five, they're 25. And then you have this adult who really likes the feeling of a clean, fresh mouth and going to the dentist every year and being told you don't have any cavities. And somebody who can think ahead and think, you know, I might live to be 90, 95, who knows, 100 years old, and I would love to have my own natural teeth all of that time. And so they're motivated from within, and it doesn't have anything to do anymore with the threat of punishment, you see how the contract changed from I'm doing this because if I don't, I'm going to be punished to I'm doing this because I want to and I love to and I see that it's a better way to live. You see how that works? That's exactly the way it is when we go from the old covenant to the new. So God told the Jews, I want you to realize just how sinful you really are. So here are my standards. First of all, I am the Lord thy God. Thou shalt have no other gods before thee. And then the second one was, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven images. And then the third one was, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. And then the fourth one was, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And then the fifth one, you know, was honor your father and mother. And then it goes on down with don't steal, don't kill, don't commit adultery. Don't bear false witness against your neighbor. Don't covet. And the people were going, well, I guess I won't murder because I sure don't want to be executed. You see what I'm saying? I guess I won't sass my parents because the penalty for it is so high in the law. I mean, if you struck your mother or father, you would get the death penalty in the Old Testament. So the people were motivated because they didn't want to be punished. But can you imagine how it is when someone comes to Christ and really comes into fellowship with the Lord and they mature in Him and His law is put in their heart? So instead of it being in a Bible someplace, it's in here. And they're going, I just love Him so much that I want to do what pleases Him. And this is a better way to live anyway. I can sure see why being absolutely honest about everything would be better than to be a thief, not shoplift, not cheat on my taxes, not, you know, uh, uh, turn corners here and there. And so we really see why the new covenant is better than the old.
So to compare these then, the old covenant law was written on stone and the new one was written on the heart. The old covenant was external motivation for a nation of people. And the new covenant was internal motivation. It's not punishment we're trying to avoid. It's I just like this and want to do it because I love him kind of motivation. And then finally, in the old covenant, a priest that was a descendant of Aaron offered animal sacrifices repeatedly every year. They had to go and do that in the Holy of Holies. And every day they offered sacrifices out there burning the flesh on the altar. But in the new covenant, Jesus went one time, once. He offered himself, he went to the cross, he died in our place, he yelled out right before he passed away, it is finished. And that was it. It did not have to be done again. And it covers us forever. Now can you see why the theme of Hebrews 8 is the new covenant is better than the old. If this podcast has been a blessing to you, please pass it along. 